0: So today we are talking about temptation. And so uh, I have a quick video just to set up that subject matter. You guys want to go ahead and run that? Okay, sit that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait You need them. All right. And so today we are going to be talking about Paul's secret to overcome temptation. And so if you would grab your Bible or your phone and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. And I I want to take a quick poll. How many of you have ever been tempted to sin? Raise your hand. Yep, that's what I thought. You are a sinful bunch. (laughs) My hand was up too. It's okay. And so how many of you have ever given into that temptation and sinned? Raise your hand. Yeah. So no serious Christian is excited about falling into temptation. But in Hebrews chapter 12, Paul says this. He said, therefore, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And then he makes this statement. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And we have something on the inside of us, on each and every one of us have this, that wants to run our race that's marked out with us or for us with perseverance. We want to win that race. But there are these things that hinder us. There are these roadblocks in our lives that are called temptations. It could be something as simple as temptation to be lazy, or it could go all the way to the temptation to murder your coworker, <laughs> and then everything in between. We are constantly bombarded with temptation. It's true, and the sin, the, the, can, this sin, can very, very easily entangle us. But the thing is, is that it's it's our heart's desire to fulfill our destiny, to have what God wants for us, and not to be entangled with these things that will keep us from that destiny. Is that right? So it begs the question, if we want God's desire for our life, the destiny that he has put on the inside of us to come to pass, and we don't want to be entangled with the sin, with temptation, we don't want to succumb to temptation, then why is it, that we as humans, as Christians especially, have such a hard time with this? Well, that's what we're going to unpack today. And so I would like for you to turn to Romans chapter 7. And Paul really kind of lays it out why we have this problem. And he also talks about what causes that problem. So let's look at Romans chapter 7 and verse 10. And so this is Paul. He says, I found that the very commandment, the commandment is talking about the law, the to-dos, the musts and must-nots that the Bible gives us. What's right and what's wrong. And it says that the very command that was intended to bring life actually brought me death. And what he's saying here is that because of the sinful nature of man, whenever we are giving a rule, a law, guess what we automatically want to do? The exact opposite. It's born in the heart of our children too. A child cannot have any interest at all in something, but the moment that you tell them not to touch it, guess what they want to do? They're going to go straight to it. Well, we're the same way because that sinful nature, that rebellion is on the inside of us, where we immediately want to do what we're not supposed to. And that's what he's saying here. But the law is good because the law is telling us right from wrong. However, the very moment that we know it's wrong and the demand that the law puts on us to make sure we don't do it, guess what comes up on the inside of us? Yeah. So let's look at verse 11. It says, For sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death the rules the laws all of that they put us to death so what he's doing is he's explaining that what sin does is it seizes the opportunity afforded by the law or the covenant the rights and the wrongs sin grabs that and so as soon as I tell you you need to forgive you need to love your neighbor you need to stop lying you need to be selfless you need to tithe all of these things as soon as I tell you that, sin immediately seizes the opportunity afforded by that commandment and combines it with their sinful nature. And then that temptation turns into sin. It brings death. So then the question that is in all of our minds at that point is this. So why would anybody give us rules? If that's what happens, why would we have the law? If sin hops on that law, and that commandment brings death on the inside, then why would we ever have it? Well, Paul goes on to answer that in verse 13. He says, so did that which is good then become death to me? In other words, did the law, the perfect true word of God, right and wrong, that which is good, did it become death to me? And he answers and he says, by no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, You see, this is a step on the way to where we want to go. That sin has to be recognized as sin. And so what's good, the law, the commandments, it takes that to bring about my death so that through the commandments, sin might be utterly sinful. In other words, it flushes out the sinful nature in us so that we can see, ah, I am not good in and of myself. I'm flawed. I'm sinful. Because the law is not there to make you good. Okay, The demands of the law are there to show us that we inherently, in and of ourselves, are not good. That we have a sinful nature that is keeping us from our destiny. So then let's look at that next scripture. Says, so Paul says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And so this is what we all go through, right? Is we want to do better. We want to do the right thing, but we don't. And when we look back at the things that we do... Out of our sinful nature, we hate those things. Like, what was I thinking? So why is this such a struggle? Let's go to verse 17. It says, verse 17. Oh, I'm sorry, it's right there. (laughs) Good job, guys. You're right on it. So it says, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but... It is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. But I cannot carry it out. So when Jesus comes in. And the Holy Spirit comes in and changes everything. That all changes. We'll get there in a minute. But the Bible says that we're all born with a sinful nature. And that sinful nature is always there. But in just a minute... Paul's going to tell us the secret to overcoming that. But then he says this. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I struggle to carry it out. For I do not do what the good that I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, I keep doing. And so goes the struggle of our lives where we want to be a better person. We want to do more for the kingdom of God, for ourselves, for our families. We, want, we realize that there is a lost and hurting world and we want to step out and be a light to that world. We want to fulfill our destiny. And yet, sometimes we find ourselves doing the very thing that we don't want to do that short circuits that. So now let's look at verse 21. And um, so he says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And, but I, and so on the inner being, I delight on God's law. It says that I delight in God's law. I see the life in it. I see the good in it. And then verse 23 says, but I see something else. I see another law in work on me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner to the law of sin that's at work in me. So here's what he's saying. When I look at what the Bible tells me to do, what the Bible asks me to do, I see the wisdom. I see the purity. I see the good in that. And I delight in that. I'm excited about it. But then there's this other law that wages war against that law. And so there's this battle inside of me where where I see what's right But then this other thing makes me a prisoner of the law and it battles. And so we have to realize that there are forces that the Bible calls evil that are working against us all the time, trying to keep us from the destiny that God has put in our lives. The calling, the purpose for our lives. We are being battled for it all the time through temptation. And so Paul asks this question, why is it That the law itself, what God asked me to do, actually brings death when we try to do it. When we try to measure up to it. And I I think that we can all relate with this pain. I think we can all relate to this struggle of why is it that I have such a hard time doing the very thing that I want to do. I want to overcome this addiction. I want to overcome my own mouth. I want to overcome. um, I want to stop gossiping. I want to stop being negative. I want to stop being angry all the time. I want to stop overreacting. I want to start standing up for myself, for the kingdom of God and what I believe in. I want, I want, I want. There's all these things. And you can fill in the blank and I can fill in the blank. We all have the thing or the things. That we know we need to overcome and we want to overcome. And so then in verse 24, he ends with this. This is the way we feel. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who's gonna rescue me from this sinful nature, this situation, this mental anguish and this spiritual anguish? Why do I do this to myself? I wanna do better, I wanna be better. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be his hands and his feet in a hurting and dying world. I want to be a a light to the world around me. We want to fulfill our destiny and our purpose, but our sinful nature is subject to death. It keeps overriding those desires and those passions and, and the path to the calling that God has put on the inside of us. But the good thing is that Paul doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just explain our demise. And so as he's going into chapter 8, he says this in 25. Let's go back one. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. That although we experience all these things, there is an answer. And the answer is actually pretty practical when you get into it. It's not just, you know, Jesus died and everything is good. And what you see... That how easy and how simple this is, it's going to blow you away. You're going to think, "Why did I know this?" But it's actually not intuitive, and it works against everything that you know in this world, and it actually works against a lot of what preachers would try to teach you. But here in Romans chapter eight, Paul lays out very clearly his secret to how you and I can overcome temptation and how we can lower the draw and the power of temptation. How to overcome temptation from a place of strength and power through Christ Jesus. And I'm just telling you that when you understand the simplicity and the power of what Paul is getting ready to teach us here, your whole life is going to be different. You'll approach all sin and and temptation completely differently. So let's look at it. This secret that Paul has for us to overcome temptation. Romans 8 and verse 5. He says this. So those that live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. In other words, when you and I live according to the flesh or the sinful nature, we are looking at what is required of us. The, the must and must nots, what the law is. And we're thinking, oh yeah, I should do that. And oh yeah, I really shouldn't do that. And I, and you know, I, I shouldn't drink so much. I shouldn't gossip. I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't tell lies. I shouldn't, even little white ones. You're looking at the, the law. You've got your mind set on what the flesh desires. And so you're looking at those things and then there's this stark contrast and it says this that those that live according to the spirit have their mindset on something totally different it says what the spirit desires. Hmm. And this is a huge dichotomy here is because when you're looking at what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do and all of that then that sinful nature pops up on the inside of you just like a child and it flares up. And so that's when we run into failure is when we're focusing on those things, the demands, what the flesh desires and the demands that are with them. And so when we look at what the Spirit desires, we're not looking at what we have to do, but listen, we're looking at what the Spirit desires of us. And so when I'm looking at what does God call me to do, what does the Spirit desire for me? What is my destiny that's on the inside of me? Listen, if you want happiness in life, fulfillment, accomplishment, you can't look at just the things that you can and and can't do. You've gotta look at your destiny. What pleases the Spirit in your life? What does the Holy Spirit desire for you? In other words, what is your destiny and your purpose? And so here it is in its simplest form. If you are focused on the demand of the law, it will rob you of your destiny. me say that again if you are focused on the demand right and wrong you will rob yourself of the destiny what the spirit desires because every time you focus on what i have to do what i can't do all of that you rob yourself of looking at what god has called you to do in your life because see those demands those have tos are only stepping stones to get you somewhere And you've got to get your eye on the destiny that God put in you and not just focusing on the demands, the right and the wrong. So if you're going to keep your eyes, if you're going to keep your eyes on the destiny that you're going to have, you're going to have to, first of all, and he goes through how to do this, how to keep our eyes on the destiny. First of all is that you've got to keep your purpose before you the end goal in mind and this is exactly what Paul is saying here In go ahead and go to that next slide is that those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the, what the flesh desires it's, oh, I can't do that I shouldn't do that oh, man. but see those that live in the spirit think about what the spirit desires which is much more powerful than stop lusting stop gossiping stop cheating stop lying See, it's much bigger than that. It's much more than that. You have a calling on your life. You have a destiny from God. For instance, an example for me, for ministry. I love ministry because of my destiny is life change. People's lives being changed. Not because I get to get up here and talk, or I get to go to a budget meeting, or I get to go to a staff meeting, but because I keep my eye on my purpose and my destiny which is to help other people find their purpose and destiny. And so every temptation between here and there is just a stumbling block to what I've got my eye focused on. My destiny. See when I keep my eye on that and making disciples and strengthening families everything else is just a stepping stone on the way there. This is why it's so important that you understand what God desires for your life. So what does the Spirit desire for your life? And it doesn't necessarily have to be something that is all that huge and grandiose in your mind. Let me tell you something. One of the most grandiose, the biggest thing that God would desire for you that the Spirit would desire to you, your destiny. If you're a father and or a husband, that you would be the best husband and father that you could be. If you're a mother and or a wife, that you are the best mother and the best wife that you could possibly be. That your marriage is strong. That the core of your family is strong. If you're a student or you're single and you're looking to get married, making sure that you are developing the right somebody, you, so that you can find the right somebody. Because your family is going to be a powerful tool that God uses to impact people's lives. If you're a student and you're in here, one of the biggest desires that God has for you is that you pour into your own heart, that you develop yourself into who you are in Christ. And not what the world tries to tell you that you are or you should be, or not what the people around you try to tell you that you should be. What the Spirit desires for you on the inside is that you make a difference in the world that you were born into. And that's the biggest destiny for all of us. And so for some of us, we have to have self-discipline in an area or do this thing that we don't want to have to do, uh, that thing that we're struggling with. All that becomes secondary when it comes to your destiny and what the Spirit desires for you. So wherever you are, the question is, what does the Spirit desire for you to do? That's the basic foundation because we are all looking for the specific calling, That God has for us. And God has those things. But the baseline is are you who God made you to be? That you focus on the basic purpose that you have as a Christian. What impact can I make in the world that God has given me? And if we're faithful with that, he will reveal to us even more purpose and direction. More specific but we focus on our destiny instead of right and wrong, those demands, then those demands will rob us of our destiny. And so the second thing that he says to help us see this is that we've got to control our thoughts. Look at verse six. It, he says this, the mind governed by the flesh is death. So if we continue to think about what we have to do, what we should be doing, well, and that's your only motivation, and that, that, that's your thought, that equals death. We're going to struggle. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And I want you to notice here how much he's talking about our mind. My friend, so much of this has to do with how we think. What is your internal self-dialogue like? What do you think on on a regular basis? I cannot tell you how important it is to be able to control your thoughts. And some of us, we just let thoughts come in and out and in and out. Kenneth Hagin used to say that you can't control what birds fly over your head, but you can control which ones make a nest in your hair. And a lot of our bad thoughts are making nests in our hair. And listen, we all have thoughts that aren't good, or as the Bible says, we take captive, you know, and those things that we know are not what God wants, and we cast those down and we replace those thoughts with the word of God. But the thing is, is that we can't let our minds run rampant instead of stopping and controlling what we think about. Verse 7 says this, that the mind governed by the flesh is hostile toward God. See, when we just let our minds run away from us and we think about the things of the flesh... Whether it could be meditating on the things that we shouldn't be doing or even thinking about the things that we shouldn't be doing as the only motivation that we have. That can be hostile toward God. We're going to struggle. If we don't submit to God's law, then we're going to struggle. But the thing is, is that if you don't think, if you're not in the spirit, you cannot please God. God. And if you're only thinking about the to-dos, the musts and must-nots, you're going to struggle. We're going to always stumble whenever the only thing that we think about is the demand of. I need to stop that. I need to start doing that. Because those demands will rob you of your destiny. Okay? All right. Then the third thing he points out for us that we have to understand is that we live in his righteousness. Let's look at verse 9. He goes on and he says you however are not in the realm of the flesh but in the realm of the spirit if indeed the spirit of God lives in you and if anybody doesn't have the spirit of Christ then they do not belong to Christ but if Christ is in you and even though your body is subject to death because of sin the spirit gives life because of righteousness and so if your fleshly nature is subject to death because of the sinful nature that pops up The only way that your spirit can give you life is because of the righteousness of God. And that word righteousness simply means this, that you have a right standing with God. That even when you mess up, see, this is where repentance comes in. Because we're all gonna fumble, we're gonna stumble, we're gonna sin. But when you come back to God and you confess that sin and you repent of that sin, the Bible says that it is totally erased. You go straight back into a right standing relationship with God. And the law of sin and death have no, has no power over you. And so you don't have to avert your attention from what the spirit desires, your destiny, your calling to what the flesh desires and that sin and the guilt associated with that, with that sin. And if you continue to focus on the, what the spirit desires and your purpose, your destiny, because of the righteousness of God that Jesus gave you through the cross, that right standing with God that you got with God because of Jesus' death on the cross. Now see, you and I didn't do anything to earn it. It's directly from him. Then verse 11 says this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is also living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. In other words, in context, it'll give life to, it'll, it'll kill that flesh nature. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, see, Jesus had no sin, but he took our sin on him and he died with sin in his life, not because he committed it, because he took it from you and I. And the same Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead is now living on the inside of us. And the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies. See, the mortal bodies that it's talking about in context is overcoming our flesh nature, that sinful nature on the inside of us. Because of the Spirit who lives on the inside of us and focusing on what that Spirit and what the Holy Spirit desires for our life. That's our destiny. See, that's why you don't want to focus on the demands of the law, but you want to focus on the destiny that he has for us. Because if you focus on the demands, it's going to rob you of your destiny. And so he sums it all up beautifully in verse 13. And he says this, For if you live according to the flesh, uh, uh, according to what, focusing on what you should do and shouldn't do, if you do that, you'll die. You won't make it. He says this several times. We'll never make it to what the Spirit desires for us if we continually are just focusing on the have-tos and and can'ts. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll you'll live. And this is the beauty of all this. If by the Spirit you focus on what the Spirit desires, His destiny, His purpose for your life, the end goal of why you were born, if you focus on that, you will automatically put the, the, to death the misdeeds of the body. See, all those things that I want to do but I can't do and, I, and all those things that I, that I want to do but that, I, but that I don't do, all those things tend to take care of themselves if we are focused on the destiny that God gave us to do, what the Spirit desires, that we wake up every morning with a reason to get out of bed, with a purpose to get out of bed, focused on our destiny, on our purposes. That, and those purposes overrun the flesh and the misdeeds of the body, the sinful nature, that it overruns the desires of, it's overrun by the desires of the spirit in our lives. That all the temptations that come to me they're not worth it because I'm focused on the destiny and the, and the promise that God has given me and the purposes, that all those things, they lose their power when I'm focused on who he made me to be. The purposes of God in my life. See, this is the way. This is the way and, and what he means when he says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And so I just wanna challenge you the next time you're challenged with sin, you're tempted, of the have to's, stop focusing on those what's right and what's wrong at the moment, and look beyond that, that stepping stone that you need to get, you need to get it right, but you look at the destiny and the purpose of your life and let it drive you, let it motivate you to do whatever and you do whatever it takes to get from here to there, because your destiny is so real, and in that moment your temptation shrinks. This is what Paul's talking about because you're thinking about the end at the beginning and you're counting the cost of doing the right thing or the wrong thing because you're focused on what the Spirit desires. This, my friends, is walking in the Spirit, being mindful of what the Spirit desires, the destiny that he's placed in our lives and in our hearts, the plan that he had for us before the foundation of the world. And I just want to challenge you to walk in that. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus hung on that cross, was able to hang on that cross and pay that price because he was supposed to? Because of the demand? Hmm. See, he called it his cup. And he actually asked the Father. He struggled with it. He asked the Father, please take this cup from me. Please, take this away. Let's do this a different way. So let's go back to the same scripture that we started with, Hebrews chapter 12. And let's look at that again. And one of the ways that Jesus overcame the temptation to disobey the cross, what, what he was supposed to do. Hebrews 12, 1. We've already read this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. That's what we're talking about. And run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The destiny that God had for us. The Spirit's desires for our life. And then, and here's the thing. He doubles down on the scriptures that we just read in Romans. How do we do this? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. Who He was our example. And listen, even Jesus had to do this. Watch this. For the joy that was set before him... He endured the cross. Even Jesus had to focus on his destiny, on his purpose to overcome the temptation. Yeah, he was supposed to hang on the cross, but he couldn't focus on what he was supposed to do. He was focused on on what the Spirit desired, the joy that was set before him, his purpose, his destiny. It was what the Spirit desired, the joy that was set before him. And I don't have a whole lot of time to go into it. But this goes all the way back to the creation. In the garden. Do you remember God put a tree? The, tr- the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. Satan's trick even then was to trick us as humans to focus on right and wrong. Instead of the destiny and the purpose that God had given us. And man fell into temptation and into sin simply by focusing on right and wrong and not destiny. It's right there. It's all through. It was why Jesus was put on this earth and and he had to focus on that. So let me ask a question. What would it look like if we all did this? If we all kept our eyes on Jesus and we did what he did and we keep our eyes on the joy of our destiny and our purpose, and our calling. I think that the church on planet Earth should be the most powerful change agent on the planet. And when we boil that down to our very lives, sitting here in a, cha- in a chair in Wake Forest, North Carolina, I believe that what God wants to do in each and every one of our lives and in our lives corporately as a church, that the Spirit's desires is that mankind know Jesus. That everybody in our life should know Jesus because of us and how we act and what we do. But focusing on the destiny that God has placed on the inside of us instead of on the demands of the right and wrong to be a good example. See, that's what's going to take for us to get there. The right and wrong gets easier when you've got your eye on your destiny.